Hello and welcome to Last Will and What. Today's episode, I am continuing to build upon the foundation I started in previous episodes. So far on the podcast, we've discussed what an estate plan is and how to start the conversation about your estate planning goals with your family. Today, I'm going to keep building on your understanding by discussing the importance of having the right people named in your plan. As I was trying to find an entertaining way to address this topic, I kept coming back to food. I enjoy cooking and baking, and I thought an interesting way to think about estate planning is to liken it to cooking. Developing an estate plan takes the same care and consideration as developing a recipe. One major component in a successful recipe are the ingredients themselves, and just like your estate plan, one major component in any successful estate plan are the people you appoint to handle specific duties. What types of roles are you going to be appointing in your plan is going to be very specific to you, your plan, and your goals. And estate plans vary. Some are going to be very simple with very limited roles. Some are going to be very complex with a lot of moving parts and a lot of people um, acting in those roles to achieve those complex goals. But for the most part, the most basic roles are a financial power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney, a personal representative of your will, sometimes personal representatives are called executors, or a trustee of a trust. Any kind of trust, revocable, charitable, irrevocable, life insurance trust, any type of trust, the actor in the trust is called a trustee. And so just like with cooking, you would not want to use sugar when the recipe calls for salt. So you don't want to appoint any agent that you cannot trust or an agent that might be better suited to make your healthcare decisions, but we're going to throw them in and ask them to be a trustee. You want to be careful with who you appoint and you want to understand what each role in your estate plan entails so that you pick the best candidate. Just like we carefully weigh our ingredients, you want to carefully weigh the requirements of each role and then decide on the best candidate. You do not have to have the same person named in all of your estate planning documents. You can. A lot of times, a lot of people do. They say, hey, this agent is going to be the best agent to handle anything that's thrown at them. I want them to handle anything and everything with my estate. And that's okay. But it's also okay to say, you know what? This particular role requires this type of person. And my sister-in-law is the best type of person to handle that. But when it comes to other roles, I want to name a different agent. And that's okay too. So let's dig into the different types of basic documents that most estate plans have. And let's kind of talk about what type of person is a good fit for those roles. So who is a good fit as a financial power of attorney? An agent in a power of attorney is a person you designate with the authority to act on your behalf if you're unable to do so. Powers of attorney in general are what I like to call lifetime planning documents. They're set up so that while you're living and breathing but incapacitated, that is who's going to step in and take care of you while you're alive and make those decisions for you. A financial power of attorney, also called a durable power of attorney, grants your agent the authority to manage your financial affairs. The authority granted consists of powers like 
paying your bills, filing taxes, managing your real property, managing your investments, managing your retirement accounts, hiring professionals to handle claims and litigations, hiring professionals to manage your businesses, talking to Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, workman's compensation, etc. And if you're incapacitated, you want to be sure that the person with the authority to care for your finances is trustworthy, reliable, organized, and always going to act in your best interest. The financial power of attorney is easily abused when the wrong person is appointed. The risk of elder abuse, the risk of someone being taken advantage of, is, is it happens through powers of attorneys because people just don't understand what amount of authority you are actually granting someone by naming them in this document. And therefore, it's vital you have the right person named in the document. No one wants to bite into a cookie and taste salt, just like no one wants to worry about how their agent is going to protect their financial interest. So when it comes to your financial power of attorney, the best advice that I can give is to look at your financial assets, look at what you do on a day-to-day basis that involve money, look at what might be going on in the future, look at what your plans are for your assets, talk to your financial advisor if you have one, talk to your accountant, talk to somebody and get an idea of the magnitude of your finances and the functions that need to take place and really think about who is the best person to step into my shoes and to take care of me and to make sure everything is going to be okay and to make sure that my finances are not going to suffer because I'm not here managing them and taking care of them. And you want to make sure that that person is someone that is very trustworthy. What a lot of people don't understand is unless somebody acting as a power of attorney really does something untoward, it's it's a lot of times hard to catch somebody being a bad actor until they've done a significant amount of damage. One of the pros to having powers of attorney is to avoid having to go through a court process to have someone appointed as your conservator. It's a lot less expensive to have a power of attorney. It is just one of those necessary and good documents everybody should have. But it is a document that you have to be meticulously careful about who you name. And so this is one of those documents where the candidate in that document is supremely important and it is just as important as sugar is to a cookie. The other side of the coin from your durable power of attorney is going to be the healthcare power of attorney. Just like a financial power of attorney, the agent appointed in your healthcare power of attorney is granted authority to manage your medical decisions. Here in South Carolina, your named agent and your healthcare power of attorney is going to have the authority to make general medical decisions on your behalf. Decisions like allowing or disallowing the administration of medication, attending doctor's visits, allowing or disallowing certain medical procedures, managing medical documents, and more. Um, The document also grants your agent the authority to make end-of-life decisions on your behalf. Now, other states have similar documents, but medical powers of attorney are very state-specific, and you want to make sure that the type of medical power of attorney you're drafting in whatever state you're in, you understand exactly what it means and what 
powers you are granting your medical power of attorney. So you definitely want to make sure that whatever state you're a resident in, that is the state whose medical power of attorney is governing your care in the event you become incapacitated. So if you're incapacitated and you want to ensure your agent is going to make all your medical decisions, regardless of severity, that are in your best interest, you want to pick an agent that is going to be able to have an open dialogue with you while you have capacity and be able to talk to you about your wishes, about how you want your care about end-of-life decisions, your medical treatment, your beliefs, your religious beliefs, and things like that. You want to make sure that he or she has all the necessary information to adequately care for you during your incapacity. And you want to make sure that that agent is somebody you trust to follow your medical directives. Um, a lot of times people name family members in their documents, and that's never a bad thing, but you want to make sure with your medical power of attorney that the family member that you're naming as your agent is not going to be so emotional when the time comes to make those hard decisions that they're going to be unable to make those decisions. This is such a different consideration than the financial power of attorney because we're dealing with your health. We're dealing in a lot of cases with your life and how you want those end of life decisions to be made. So sometimes the person that we name to handle our finances is not so much the person that we want to name for our medical decisions. I've seen a lot of clients where they have one child that's a lot more analytical, that's a lot better with money, and that's the financial power of attorney that they name, but that child is also very sentimental, that child is very emotional, and that child might not be the best candidate for the healthcare decision, but the child or the sibling or the family member that is a medical professional on some level that's the better candidate because they understand the medical side of things a little bit better. Now, if you're in a situation where you don't have anybody that's more financial for it or medical for it, that's okay. You just want to make sure you're picking the person that's going to follow your written directives and you're picking the person that's going to make the best decision for you. And with your healthcare power of attorney, it is vital to have open conversations with your agent. And so if you wanted to name your oldest child as your medical power of attorney, but every time you try to talk about your medical wishes, your oldest child doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to deal with it, maybe that's not the best candidate. Whereas your youngest child is the one that is open to those conversations, understands your needs, your beliefs, and your goals, maybe that's the better child. So when it comes to your healthcare power of attorney, we really want somebody that's going to understand your medical reasoning behind decisions, the decisions you want, how you want to be cared for, and we want to pick the best candidate to make those decisions. So with your financial and healthcare power of attorneys, we are naming someone to step in essentially into your shoes. We are cloning ourselves. We're giving all of our authority to manage our finances, to make our medical decisions to someone else. We're naming somebody to step into our shoes and take over our decision making and essentially make decisions for you in the same way that you would make those decisions. 
But when we talk about your executor or your personal representative that we name into a will, it's a completely different conversation because now we're dealing with the agents that are going to manage your estate after your death. So if your estate requires any kind of probating, your last will and testament is going to be the document to handle that. In your last will and testament, you will have the authority to name a personal representative, which is what we call it in South Carolina. Some states also call them executors. So it's it's the same term, it's the same agent, it's the same function, just called differently. So A personal representative is responsible for identifying the assets that make up your estate. They're responsible for safeguarding the assets throughout the probate process. They're responsible for administering the estate via your state's probate rules. They're responsible for paying or contesting any debts. They're responsible for filing taxes. They're responsible for distributing the estate to your beneficiaries. They're responsible for every single aspect that goes on during the probate estate. Selling the car, selling the house, fighting with the medical bills, dealing with the credit card companies, everything that has to happen from the moment you pass to your heirs inheriting your estate. Your personal representative is in charge of all of that. When you appoint someone to this role, it's vital you appoint someone who is very well organized, can complete tasks promptly, and has the ability to see the entire process through from start to finish. Mistakes made by a personal representative can be costly to an estate. So you want to make sure that the person you name as the personal representative not only understands everything that's required as a personal representative, but has the wherewithal to complete those tasks. And sometimes what that means is that's a person that's going to hire the attorney, follow what the attorney says, and is able to keep good records and manage every other task that the attorney is going to give them. Because I think what a lot of people don't understand is there are a lot of little tasks that attorneys who are assisting clients probating estates don't do for their clients. Um, For example, I can provide you and say, hey, I need you to find all of the assets and give me a list of all the assets. I could send a letter to every single bank in town requesting confirmation if there's an account there, but I'm going to have to bill you for it. A lot of probate attorneys are billable hour, whereas you as the personal representative can take the time and go and do that for yourself. So it stays the estate some money, it lessens up the attorney so that the attorney is doing the legal attorney work, but little things like that, your personal representative has to do. Um, In the same vein, you know, your personal representative needs to evaluate a realtor if we've got to sell some real property. Your personal representative has to be able to not cut corners if we need to get valuations on home or cars or baseball cards or coin collections or anything like that. You want to make sure that the person that you're naming is somebody that's going to do everything they can to make sure that all the information that they're given to the attorney in the probate court is accurate and up to date. And you want to make sure that person is not going to be somebody that throws this off and says, well, you know, the attorney sent me an email and I understand that this is due soon, but I'm, I'm really busy. I've got other things to do. Or you want somebody that's not going to 
be really kind of casual with probating an estate. It seems easy. Mom only died with a bank account and a car. It's something simple. But when you get into the habit of thinking that probate is easy, you're going to start making mistakes and mistakes can be very costly. So when we talk about your personal representative, you really want to name somebody that is up to the task of managing essentially anything and everything that has to be done and is best at managing anything that might come out of left field. You forgot to pay taxes for two years in a row because you were really sick. That is going to take a lot of work for your personal representative to straighten out. So who would you write their name? The child that's going to take the time and do things right and spend the time straightening it out or the child that's going to get frustrated and get upset and just say, you know what, nobody's going to complain about this. It is what it is. Let's just let it go, move on and try to rush through the system. So you want this particular person to be just like the other documents um, that we're naming people in, well-organized, going to follow the rules, going to hire somebody that's a professional to assist them with this, and somebody that's going to do everything in their power to do it the right way the first time. I can tell you from experience, a lot of people treat probate and treat estate administration as not that big of a deal and they want to do it very quickly just to get it over with so they can get their inheritance and that is not the person you want to name in this document. Now the last document we're going to talk about is who's a good fit as a trustee and I like to do the trustee last because the trustee is sometimes going to be a person who has to take on roles just like a power of attorney and a personal representative. A lot of times, especially in revocable living trust, you as the person that creates the trust are going to be the trustee of your own trust until you either become incapacitated or you pass. If you become incapacitated, the person you name as your successor trustee is going to be able to step up and manage your trust assets during that incapacity. But the rules and the regulations and everything for acting as a successor trustee while the grantor is living is different than your successor trustee taking over and administering that trust when you've passed. So your trustee needs to be somebody that's really good at wearing a lot of hats. It needs to be somebody that can be a financial power of attorney and somebody you would name as your personal representative. Because we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball that says, hey, on December 15th, 2022, I'm going to develop Alzheimer's and I'm going to be incapacitated for seven years before I die. So I've got to name somebody to manage everything for my incapacity for seven years and then I've got to handle, you know, somebody for the death. We don't know that information. So you really have to think about who's a good candidate now and kind of forecast that candidate in the future. And you want to make sure that with your trustee, that that person is even more trustworthy, more organized, more on top of things. Because while your successor trustee should hire an attorney to assist them with managing the trust, it's not a requirement. And a trust is not overseen by a court. When your estate goes through probate, the probate court is involved, you're following statutory rules, everything is meticulously monitored. 
But a trust doesn't do that. The whole purpose of a trust is to avoid probate, to keep your estate private, to keep it out of court. So you've got to have a lot of faith in your trustee to do the right thing and to do it appropriately. The person appointed um, should be carefully considered because a trustee has immense legal responsibility for your estate. And you don't want to take any agent appointment lightly. It is not a decision where you're just in a hurry to get your estate plan done and you're just throwing out your oldest kid as the primary agent and everything and your youngest kid as the backup and bing, bam, boom, we are done. Just like when you cook, certain ingredients are better suited for different dishes for optimal impact. In estate planning, sometimes certain individuals are better suited for certain tasks. Therefore, you do not have to name the same person every document like we've already discussed. But what you do have to do is take careful measure before appointing anyone. You want to weigh the responsibilities of each role just like we've done with the capabilities of everybody you're considering. This way, you can be confident in your estate plan as being a winning recipe. Make sure that when you talk about this with your attorney, ask your attorney the hard questions. Ask your attorney, hey, attorney, these are the people I'm considering for my estate plan. This is what I'm considering appointing them as. But is there anything I'm missing? What should be taken into consideration when I think about these agents? The other thing you want to think about when you name your agents is a backup. It is not enough to simply have a primary agent in your document. You also want to name a backup. So if you think, okay, well, it's easy. If something happens to me, my spouse is going to take over. My spouse can handle everything. Well, what if your spouse can't? Every good document should have a primary and a contingent agent. And so you want to make sure that everybody named, regardless of if they were your first choice or your second choice, is equally set to the task. And this way, like I said before, you can be confident that your estate plan is going to be successful. Creating a winning estate planning recipe is very simple if you take the time to do the work and have the meaningful conversations with your agent and with your estate planning attorney. Well, that's it for this episode. Make sure to subscribe to my legal blog to get all the latest articles, especially my recipe for success series, which is where this podcast also comes from. I'll be doing other podcast episodes along this same vein about having a recipe for a successful estate plan. So don't miss any of those episodes as well by subscribing to my blog. Thank you and we'll see you soon.